The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. When the days for Jesus being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined a journey to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his reception there, but they would not welcome him because the destination of his journey was Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed to another village. As they were proceeding on their journey, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, Foxes have have dens, and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Then he said to another, he said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go first to bury my father. But he answered him, let the dead bury their dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my family at home. To him, Jesus said, no one who sets his hand to the plow and looks at what is left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus calls to a person today, and he says, follow me. And each one of us are also called in the same way, where Jesus calls us to follow him. To be his disciple, this disciple which walks closely, which learns to live and to live and become the same as the master. And we hear in the second reading that one of the ways that Jesus helps us to become disciples is that he set us free. He set us free from the slavery to sin. Now that freedom doesn't require, doesn't give us the ability to do whatever we want, right? What is that freedom ultimately ordered in? It's ordered in, as disciples, to love our neighbor. To love our neighbor as ourselves, right? That's how we are disciples. Disciples of Jesus Christ and to follow him. Now, in theory, that's really easy, right? Um, Well, maybe not in theory. Maybe as a kid, in theory, that's really easy because you don't see a lot of stuff right? That's super easy. Yeah, I I haven't killed that person, so I'm a good neighbor, right? I'm desiring the good of the other. Well, no, not really, right? This commandment to love neighbors ourself, often, uh, a lot of the time, we can keep our eyes blind to it, right? Or we can think in simplistic ways, or we can just look at it the way that maybe be a disciple of the people around us, instead of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? How does he ultimately go to? Well, he He goes to death, right? That's how much he loves his neighbor. And then that's the discipleship and the follow, how we're supposed to follow. For myself, growing up, I didn't really run into many of that situations. I was a pretty good kid, even though that, you know, I was was not a perfect kid by any amounts. But I didn't kill anybody, so that was good. Um, And uh, I, but I didn't really run into many situations where I was necessarily challenged in my faith or really what kind of choices I made. It was actually in college when I took a moral and ethics class 
that I ran into the first time where this kind of difficulty of loving our neighbor really came to a head for me and actually caused me to actually, uh, uh, caused me to consider my discipleship, to consider my life and actually drove me into a greater discipleship because I realized that I really wasn't living it out. The scenario in the, uh, in that moral and ethics class was, uh, it was a, a Navy uh, moral and ethics class, and it was, you're a commanding officer of uh, Diego Garcia. One of your sailors gets pregnant. She already went on, she already went on her leave, and if you don't grant her extra leave, then she is able to give birth, but they're not able to procure abortion at the island. And for myself, I never really thought about that, right? Here's a situation where, as a commanding officer, you have the ability to decide someone's life, right? To cooperate or not cooperate, and you're put in that situation. For myself, I, I, I didn't know, right? I, I had kind of grown up thinking that abortion was wrong. I didn't understand why. I didn't really know or really care. I didn't have to deal with it. But all of a sudden... I realized that life wasn't going to leave me. It was going to put me in certain situations like this where real choices were going to be having to be made. That I had to decide, did I really believe that abortion was wrong? What did I think? And I was left very speechless in the moment. And I started to think about it more, and it caused me to drive a little bit deeper. And I had to be honest and, and start thinking about it because it wasn't just, again, a pie in the sky of love your neighbor. If there really was a child in the womb, then I needed to protect it and love it. Also, my heart was there for that sailor, right? Who was clearly not in a position to desire a, a newborn child, right? How do we, in that situation, care for both? The Catechism uh, says um, that human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. And that from the first century, the church has affirmed the moral evil of every procured abortion. This teaching has not changed and remains unchangeable. Direct abortion, that is to say, abortion willed either as an end or as a means, is gravely contrary to the moral law. And we hear this even, it says from the very beginning, in the second century in the Didache, we have, uh, when talking about uh, killing, it says, you shall not kill the embryo by abortion and shall not cause the newborn to perish, right? Actually, infanticide was very common at that time. But it often also goes so far as the embryo, right? Not understanding necessarily the science of it all in the midst of it all. And so... That's the church teaching, right? But how does that get applied in a particular situation? I bring this up today because, as many of you know, Roe versus Wade was overturned. And for many people, this has been a lifelong battle on both sides, right? Um, And we ourselves today, thankfully, um, or maybe not thankfully, um, many of us, right, don't, didn't have a lot to do with the Supreme Court decision, right? What does our life have to do with it, though, right? What, what is our response as a pro-life, desiring to be pro-life, what is our response as Christians to love our neighbor, to live as disciples, and to love our neighbor as ourselves in freedom, right? A freedom to do what's right.
And ultimately, at the end of the day, some people are called to fight in legislation to protect the innocence of the unborn. And I think that this is not just a religious issue, although it is a religious issue, it's a church teaching, but it can also be a philosophical and theological teaching as well. As there are atheists who are pro-life from the science that life begins at conception when the DNA is different in that embryo than the mother itself, right? That there's a distinct difference. Now, we also understand that the law, right, can condone certain things. And so this is a matter of law. Um, and we're great, grateful in some ways um, that it's now returned to legislation for our ability to be able to influence it. And we hope that we're a pro-life. But what does that mean to be pro-life? Right? Part of it is, again, I want to say that legislation, but that's not all of it, right? Ultimately, for ourselves, a lot of us, we're, again, we're not in the Supreme Court. We're not in legislation. So where do we as Christians lie? Well, the first thing that I would like to say is that we need to create a culture of openness and mercy instead of judgment, right? Where, has, where have we often gone wrong with this? Often in judgment, right? Often in well, uh, in blaming people for abortion or blaming mothers or, or women who are pregnant out of wedlock or in other uh, unusual situations, right? And that often that place of judgment, that place of condemnation is the place that often causes more damage. And so if we want to be a pro-life, if we really believe that there's a life of a child, well, again, we love our neighbor, the love, love that child in the womb, but also the mother. And that needs to be done before conception, right? And creating to be able to say, right, no matter what the situation, please, we're going to be here for you. No matter what, your life isn't over. You have support. You have support from the people around you. And this needs to be done in the family, right? To be able to say, no matter what happens, right, that we're here for you, that we want to support you. And to be honest, and to mercy, and to know that things happen, right? But that we're here for them. And so that is one thing that happens in the family. It also happens in friends, right? The way that we speak about it, right? One of compassion for the mother and the child, right? Now, what are some other practical ways that we take? Well, one of the ways is there's a lot of pregnancy help centers. People, people who help on planned pregnancies. Well, certainly, I hope that we're able to get engaged and to be able to help in those specific ways, but also maybe not here we're able to do that. There's not any specific pregnancy help center that I know of around here, but we can also make donations of time and money in the future. As part of the ROF, uh, we've been giving to different pregnancy help centers in different places. And I would encourage you to look up maybe in your hometown, right? What's a pregnancy help center back in your hometown that you can give to to support, again, mothers, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love the mothers and the child, and to support them in that intentional way, in giving up of ourselves. We also uh, talk about it in some other ways. One is also the postnatal health care, the support of the child and the mother, right? There are a lot of difficult pregnancies, and we need to support health care that help the mother and the child in the midst of those difficult pregnancies, right? They're really expensive. NICUs are very expensive, but to support those in every single way that we can. 
It's also really important for us to have be pro-family in our initiatives. But again, a lot of us aren't in necessarily the conversations of legislation or necessarily rules of the Navy or different things, but we certainly need to do it in the attitude and the culture that we set. When someone goes on maternity leave or paternity leave, how do we treat that person, right? Do we treat that person with graciousness and gratitude because we're grateful for that? Or do we kind of disgruntedly, you know, kind of put up with it, right? What kind of culture are we setting in terms of encouraging people to, who are uh, pregnant, who are starting families, who are in difficult situations, right? We want to support the parents to be able to take that time off from work, uh, support child care and health care, and also a, a livable wage, right? A livable wage so that, the, the, again, a lot of the times abortion isn't chosen because they want to have an abortion, right? Again, this is one of the areas of compassion that we need to be able to recognize that most abortions are, are, are procured because the woman feels as though it's no choice at all. It's the life of them or the life of the child. And in that battle, the life of the mother, right, as an individual seeking self-preservation, sometimes go through that, right? Now, how do we change that? Well, hopefully we can change it to be able to let women know, uh, especially young women, to know that, right, if they get pregnant, that that's not the end of their life, that we have support, that we want to support, and that they can continue to live a good life. It's not the end, all right? And we need to do that, again, by the culture that we set. I'd also say that a few other initiatives, foster care. Again, one of the things about being pro-life is we need to be foster care. We don't say, hey, we want the child to be born, but we don't care what, right? We want to be in the development and to be able to help support families, even as we know that many difficult situations come up. And we should be the first ones to step up to be foster care parents, right? to be able to take in those who are from difficult family situations. If we're pro-life, we need to be uh, pro-child, right? In all its different things. In foster care especially, which is really difficult, and also adoption, that we support adoption in all its initiatives. People who are seeking adoption as well as those who are going going through the difficulty of giving up their child for adoption. Ultimately, we know that this world is an ugly place, right? The media will tell us that all the time. We know that it is. We know that life is difficult, that difficult decisions come to us whether we want them or not. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to live in freedom and to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And to pour out our life and to not just take care of ourselves, but to love others as well. And so I hope that we can be, again, a light to the world, which is often filled with despair, a hope in the midst of difficulty, and a place where we can be, again, a beacon of love and care and mercy, and not one of condemnation, not one that judges, but one that seeks to care and one that lives in the dignity and respect 
of every life from conception to natural death. And we acknowledge that that creates some really difficult situations. Just as, as all of us being in the, in the military, war does as well. The world is a difficult, complex place. And so even though that I am incredibly grateful, and I didn't think it would ever happen, that Roe versus Wade is overturned, because I think that it will save many lives, it will also cause more difficulty, right? And perhaps endanger some lives that otherwise wouldn't have been. And we're here to hopefully change that and to be able to be as much of a support to life as possible. And that does happen again. I, I, I think it's really important. The media and everything else can really pull us often to the heady stuff and to government and legislation and everything else. But where we are called as disciples is in individual relationships, in our family and in our friends. And so let us be that culture of life.